it is time for the I Love Real Estate Success Show. A good old I Love Real Estate Success Show. So what I want to do is uh, introduce uh, a student of the I Love Real Estate community. And we do this because we want to give a bit of an insight into what happens when someone joins a community and they delve in, they go through Dimner's amazing training about real estate and real estate investing. And what do they accomplish and how have their journey progressed in order for you to be able to learn and get inspired. And today we have a very, very interesting student who has been with Dimna since the start, since the very beginning, and even probably before the beginning. And pretty much everyone within the Isle of Real Estate community will know of his name. You may have met him, you may know about him, but we should just get straight on into it and introduce Mr. John Bone. John, how are you doing? Michael, I'm well, how are you? Very good, very good. And I'm very keen to get in and find out because I tell you, I think you've got a lot of information, you've got a lot of history, and you've probably got some really fascinating stories as well about uh, about the community and your and your journey and what you've accomplished as well. Met a lot of uh, unusual people over the years, a lot of very, very successful people. Uh, and it's been a very interesting journey for almost 20 years. That's right. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, it'll be John's uh, anniversary within the community in, in November this year, 20 years within the community. Hey, that's about it. It's a long time. It is. That's fascinating. So let's, 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 let's get on into it, shall we? And um, I wanted to find out uh, wh where were you at? Like prior to the 20 years ago, before you met up with Dipna, what was your life like? And you know, where, where were you coming from before you joined the community? Both my wife and I were uh, living in Melbourne. We had uh, very, very well-paying jobs. We had um, an incomes that were um, high by any by any measure. Um, we we didn't have children. We never had planned to have children. Uh, we were living in uh, Eltham in Victoria at the time. Uh, we had a lot of uh, perks as a result of our jobs. Uh, so we we had a very, very comfortable lifestyle. But uh, it it unraveled like a lot of things do. Uh, we were, this was in 1990 in, in Victoria. And if anybody is old enough to remember what that was like, that was uh, the, um, the Victorian economy was going down the toilet very quickly, as was uh, most of Australia. Uh, jobs were very hard to find and I got retrenched. Uh, so I was unemployed. I was 45 years old. Um, I was working in the computer industry and for those of you who are familiar with the computer industry, generally it's it's felt that once you get to the age of 45, your brain turns to concrete and you have basically um, no value to the industry at all. So uh, getting a job in those circumstances was going to be extremely difficult. And uh, we had long planned what we would do uh, in, in you know that eventuality. We had bought a block of land in Perth. I'm originally from Perth. We bought a block of land with the intention of uh, moving there one day and retiring. Um, so having been retrenched, uh, we decided to make the move then. We sold our house. We traveled around Australia for three months and uh, ended up in Perth. And that was in 1991. Um, we couldn't get the jobs that we wanted. Uh, we, we had the lifestyle, but we didn't have the income. We'd, we'd kind of gone backwards uh, quite a long way. And mm. uh, we decided in the end that we would uh, go into a business of our own. So we bought into a business. Um, and despite all of the best checks by accountants and lawyers, uh, we, were, we were basically ripped off. We lost all of our money. We ended up in the court trying to sue people to get our money back. And... Uh, eventually gave up we we had uh, very little money at that stage we'd lost our house we'd lost our jobs so we moved back to melbourne and that was uh, in about uh, 1995 so we landed back in melbourne with with basically nothing we got jobs again we saved we bought a house um, then we sort of moved forward to 2002, 2003, we, we started to, to think, you know, um, we were both getting older, getting closer to retirement. We had nothing to fund our retirement, so we needed to do something. We looked at a number of things like margin lending in the stock market and, uh, and a few other things. 
and uh, and it was in 2003 when we stumbled across a lady by the name of Dimma. Mm, okay, that's um, uh, that that that's a that's a tough one there, kind of John, because you've kind of gone through, you've been successful, and then you've 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 lost it all and had to build back up again. So uh, quite a few challenges coming into um, before you actually came in and and, and connected with Dimna. Yes, it, it, we we certainly went through some very very stressful times. There was no doubt about that. We we were um, living a very stressful life for three or four years until we got on top of our finances again and and looked like we could um, uh, start to make back what some you know some of the things that we'd lost. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was certainly uh, an interesting. Uh, meeting when we first, uh, when my wife initially stumbled across Dimna, uh, she saw her on a television show. Um, I think it was uh, either a current affair or Today Tonight, and uh, Dimna was promoting real estate investment, uh, and uh, and she was very very passionate about it. So my wife went along to one of her seminars. Um, was very excited about it all, dragged me along to one of them, and we signed up to one of her courses, and that was in 2003. This is this is fascinating because I, I, you know, I I was unaware of this, you know. Um, so she was actually on a TV show promoting, uh, obviously, how to invest in real estate, and that and that's how you originally connected with Dimna. Oh, it was yes. your wife. Yes, and and look, Dimna was. Um, uh, she was being criticised by a lot of people saying that, you know, what she was promoting couldn't be done. So there was a very interesting story around this because she wanted to prove that you could buy a house with a credit card, do it up and sell it for a profit. And that's precisely what she did. She bought a house in nowhere built somewhere out in the bush. She bought it on a credit card for $5,000. Her husband and her brother um, spent hours renovating it and uh, they renovated it and sold it and made a profit. And uh, so she proved all the doubters wrong. And, and we, we thought that was you know, a fascinating story uh, back then. And we also um, saw her appear on television shows in America promoting, promoting the, the same kind of strategy to um, US investors and US people. And that was also fascinating. Mm. So, so yeah, we signed up in November 2003. And uh, we um, took on board a lot of the training or my, my wife did primarily um, uh, to start with. And, um, you know, we, we took a, a few years to really get moving, but, mm. um, but now John, there, there was a, there was a few, there was one other thing that happened about that time. And that was that, um, I believe if I remember correctly, that you are one of the very rare, wildly wealthy women. That's correct. Yeah. So you, do, you, do you want us to let us know what, what that is and what that means? Because it, it's, I know that a lot of people are talking about what is this wildly wealthy woman? And of course there is yourself as being one of them. And I think there's also, we've got another, another um, one in the community, Brian as well, one of the two original wildly wealthy women. What, what was that? that... Yeah. Well, like, like Brian, and uh, Brian tells this story too. And I have the same story that uh, I got dragged along by my wife to a wildly wealthy meeting, uh, meeting in uh, um, Albert Park it was uh, and I would probably have been one of the only men amongst you know three or four hundred women uh, and it was all about real estate she was talking about all the things that she normally does in the ultimate course you know like asset protection and taxation and those kinds of issues and it was a just a one-day introductory um, thing and I, I didn't actually go to any of the um, more lengthy seminars my wife went to seminars in Canberra and um, uh, on the Sunshine Coast and in Melbourne, which were the sort of uh, forerunner to the ultimate boot camps. These were three-day events and uh, teaching people about uh, all of the things that the ultimate course covers now. Uh, it was just with, uh, she, she'd teamed up with a lady by the name of uh, Sandy Foster, I think was her name. Um, and they were promoting this, uh, this whole thing they called Wildly Wealthy Women. And, you know, look, it, it turned turned out to be the forerunner to uh, the ultimate courses, which probably got start, started around 2006, 2007. I don't really mm. know when it got started. Yeah. So for those of you who who are just kind of like you know wondering how how does this all come together, this is prior to the ultimate real estate success coaching yeah. program. This was the original one, wildly wealthy woman. Obviously, John and um, and his wife were there at the beginning before. So. 
Fascinating, hey? Yeah. And then, uh, then the the ultimate courses were announced, and uh, we took an opportunity to get a discount because we were wildly wealthy women members. So uh, we did our um, our ultimate boot camps in two thousand and eight. Now, by that stage, we had bought an investment property. We mm -hmm. bought an investment property in um, regional New South Wales. It was a commercial property. Um, we decided, uh, um, you know, initially it was uh, nicely cash flow positive. I, I, to be honest, I can't remember how much, but it was, um, you know, a, a fairly decent amount of income. But this was back in the time when interest rates were rising. And uh, so it was becoming less and less cash flow positive. Uh, we, we had some maintenance issues with the building. And uh, so we decided in the end that if we were going to sign up, sign up for the ultimate course that uh, we needed to be market ready. So we sold the commercial property. We got all of our taxes and things up to date before we actually uh, joined the ultimate course. So we were kind of uh, market ready from day one when we, when we did the boot camps. Fantastic, fantastic. So, and 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 the purchase of that property, which was before the ultimate course, after, but after Wildly Wealthy Women, that was inspired by the the training that you'd already got from oh, the Wildly. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. So then you you officially joined when the ultimate program was was released, but it must have been somewhere around two thousand six, two thousand eight time. That's when Ultimates probably started. To be honest, I don't, I don't know. I know that we did our boot camps in two thousand and eight. We would mm -hmm. have um, probably paid for the courses in two thousand and seven, uh, and then uh, sort of there was a kind of a realization on our part that we at the, at this stage we both had busy jobs, uh, and it was very very difficult to find the time to. Um, to spend you know looking at real estate so we we had done the courses with with ultimate we we kind of understood exactly what our goals were and what we wanted to try and achieve but it was very very difficult so at that stage we, we were coming to the conclusion that uh, one of us had to give up full-time employment and my wife was earning more than I was at the time so that job fell to me I, I'd give up my job mm -hmm. um and we thought that if we're going to make that kind of investment, then we wanted to make sure that it was going to be successful. So that's why we just we joined the Platinum program. Now, uh, just 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 to clarify here, John, was that the first time Platinum was offered? No, there was a Platinum. The very first year for Platinum was 2008. Okay. But now, we, we actually joined Platinum at the end of 2008, but it was for the 2009 year. Okay. Uh, the the way it used to work back in then is slightly different from what it is now. In the first year, the 2008 year, the platinum um, students would meet for one day every month, and generally in a different place. Uh, you know, it was all around Australia. They'd go from one city to the next. Uh, Dimmer found that that was all a little bit too hard. There was just too much to try and cover in one day uh, and doing it on such a regular basis was, was a little bit too difficult for a lot of people. So in the year that we did it, in the 2009 year, she changed it so that the, um, uh, we would meet every two months for two days. And we were still doing the um, uh, different, different cities in, mm -hmm. you know, each time. So we're kind of traveling around a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, and that was in 2009. Uh, but our actual, our first platinum meeting for the 2009 year was actually in 2008. It was just kind of the way the, the dates worked out. She would have mm -hmm. the uh, kind of wind up um, uh, event in November, and then the first event for the next year would be in December, generally. Yeah, because it was a it was a yearly intake, wasn't it? So the yeah, yearly intake, right. and it would run for a calendar year. Yeah, yeah, close to a calendar year. Whereas at the moment, it's a yeah. it's a rolling intake, so it's a, it was quite a bit different when it was first um first formed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. So I um, I did the first um, um, platinum meeting in well, I think it was in December two thousand and eight, and then uh, I had resigned my job at that time, but um, I, my boss wanted a little bit of extra time to find a replacement so I didn't actually end up leaving the job until the end of January uh, which was around about the time of the second uh, platinum meeting um, and then from basically from that moment on I was um, fully involved 100% of the time in real estate. 
So you're, so you've joined platinum. You've, you've resigned from your job. You're doing it full time. Obviously your wife's got the income coming in. So um, this is a full on commitment, isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And we thought that was, yeah, that was the only way that it could work because we just didn't have the time. I, I was working for a, Although I wasn't earning much money, I was in a job where my time time was basically not my own. I couldn't uh, dictate, you know, what I was doing. Basically, um, I was uh, a technician uh, traveling all around Victoria, servicing printers in the sign industry. So, uh, you know, I I might have there was there were times, for example, when I was in Bendigo and. Uh, um, and a printer failed that was in Mildura. So I had to basically drive to Mildura. Wow. So I was traveling around uh, all over the state with a, um, a change of clothes and things like that in, in my car with me in case I got caught out. And, and I did that. That happened quite a lot. But there was one advantage that came out of that job. I went to basically every small country town in Victoria over a period of three years on multiple uh-huh. occasions. So with the interest in real estate was there and I was able to talk to the business people in pretty much every small community that was around. I knew which, which country towns were, had progressive uh, councils, which ones didn't. Uh, I pretty much knew what was happening right across Victoria. Uh, so that's a perfect setup, isn't it? It was at the time. Yeah. And, and my area covered uh, all the way from uh, Bansdale in the south uh, all the way to um, Mount Gambier in uh, South Australia and up to Wagga in New South Wales. I covered a very, very large area. And for three years, I was able to uh, investigate a lot of small towns and what they were doing. So I knew which ones were good to look at and which ones weren't. It was awesome. a very useful time. And this is exactly what Dipna says, isn't it? You know, you utilize whatever job you're in, whatever situation, there's always an opportunity that you can, you can yeah, search for exactly. and find. And yeah. Yeah. So John, can you tell us about some of the deals that you've done? Well, the first deal, it took me a few months to find. Uh, now I, I just want to actually backtrack here because there was one very, very important moment um, that changed a lot for me or us. Mm-hmm. Basically what happened was that as a part of the platinum uh, program, you get a one-on-one meeting and an, or, several one-on-one meetings with Dimna. And at, at the first meeting that I had with Dimna, um, she, uh, we kind of explained what our position was and you know what we we're trying to do. And she gave me one piece of advice, which, which I would give to everybody in similar position. She said, when you go home, write down a list of all of the people that you think uh, would be good JV partners for you. The people you know, you know, she said, doesn't matter, people you work with, uh, relatives, write down a, a list, she said, because basically she said, you don't have enough money to do a deal on your own. You need a joint venture partner. And was that simple? Was that straightforward? So we did exactly that. And I wrote down a list and I wrote down a list of about five or six people and I started ringing them. The second one that I rang was a gentleman who'd just given up his job He'd gotten all, um, all of his uh, taxes up to date. He'd set up all his asset protection structures and he was looking for a deal in real estate. Now, this was a perfect match. So we joined up then and as a, and as a pair, we found our first uh, deal. So when you talk about joint ventures and going into joint venture partners and joint venture relationships, my recommendation is that you always joint venture with somebody you know mm. you know it's a lot safer you, you and now this particular person i knew his wife i knew his children i'd worked with him for 13 years i knew him extremely well he was a, um, a, a, an easy person to get on with mm-hmm. we had we had exactly the same ambitions so we set out to find a deal uh, and we did it together. So, we, and for three months, we went to every home open and we kind of identified the area. Um, now, this, this particular guy, he worked in the same place that I did, but he, when he went home to work, when he went home at night and when he uh, came to work in the morning, he never went the same way twice. Every day he traveled down different roads 
He knew the areas from between where he lived and where he worked, as well as I knew all the country towns in Victoria. He knew everything that was being developed, everything that was being sold and everything that was happening in the whole area. So we were able to very, very quickly narrow down the area that we wanted to look for in terms of our first deal. We went along to every home open for months. Uh, we talked to every builder in the area to see what they were building and what they were doing. So we had a, a great um, kind of um, base on which to make decisions about uh, properties. We went uh, and, and mostly we couldn't, and for a long time we couldn't find what we were looking for, but we did go to one auction where we thought we could get it and we did, we bought it. We bought it for about $30,000 less than what we thought we would. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a 650 square meter block. It was uh, a wide frontage, so it was perfect for a subdivision and uh, build two towners. So that was our first deal. So it took me from basically uh, the beginning of February to the middle of May to find our first deal. Um, and then it took us two years or something to finish it <laughs> because it rained. There was a few challenges there, wasn't there, with the rain, with the weather. Melbourne, Melbourne weather, everyone knows, <laughs> a bit unpredictable. Well, it, what basically what happened was we, uh, you know, as soon as as soon as we were able to successfully buy our first deal, we we got our A team together, we got um, an architect, a town planner, we put all those those people in place. Um, we got the plans done. We got the development application into the council, and we actually got the um, approval. The development application was approved in in very quick time. We had the application approved by December in the same year, so it took us from May to December. In fact, it it, it actually turned out to be a problem that we got it so early because it was right on Christmas, mm -hmm. um, and so you know we had to put up signs but the council said to us well you know you can put up signs but it's not fair to put up a sign to say you've got a development application and then have everybody away for uh, holidays so they wanted they had uh, uh, they had to basically say to us well you know you're going to extend the time a little that you've got to have the sign up so and then we had an objection from the neighbor which turned out to be relatively simple to to uh, kind of get rid of and then uh, we weren't able to actually start construction until about may the following year so from the time we bought the property to the time we started construction was uh, a full 12 months wow wow um, yeah and basically the day we started construction it started to rain and it rained and it rained and it rained and we were building in a swamp basically uh every day we got there we had to pump the water out uh we had to bring sand in to cover up all the mud and uh it, it was a nightmare Mm. But um, you you came through that because it's, it's still it, it it was a profitable deal, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, we we also there were one of the things that um, um, you know people don't really think about when you look when you're looking at real estate education is that you start to develop an eye for what's happening in the real estate market generally. You know, you're not necessarily looking at deals, but but we could see then that the market was going to slump. Mm -hmm. We started construction in um, you know 2010. Uh, that the GFC was just had you know the, the GFC was under in full swing at that stage, but it hadn't affected the Victorian real estate market. Prices were going up uh, constantly, and we could see that eventually the GFC was going to have an impact and there was going to be a slump. So we sold off the plan. Now when I did my original feasibility study, I labored for, for weeks and weeks over what, what I thought we could sell the two townhouses for. And in the end, I decided that we'd be able to sell them for $650,000 each. And the deal worked at 650,000 and was a good profitable deal. But we sold off the plan for $800,000 each. Wow. Way above what we expected. Uh, another 150 on each. And there was two townhouses in that, that development. Two. Yeah, yep. but the problem we had at that stage was that um, all of the big builders uh, like Metricot and all these other people, they were going crazy building houses by the thousands in places like Cranbourne and uh, Officer and, and all down there. We couldn't get trades. We actually had to bring a, a bricklayer out of retirement to build some of the brick walls for us. And <laughs> How do you bring a bricklayer out of retirement? Do you like... <laughs> <laughs> did you know them or how did 
my JV partner knew him from a job that he'd done some time before, and we just offered him a lot of money to do it because we, we really needed to get this thing going. But, I, I've got to say, John, I, I, I love this ability to solve problems here. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, got no trades. Oh, we'll, we'll find a bricklayer, bring him out of retirement, offer him a lot of money. And of course, it, it, it stacks up. What, but, you know, like um, what happened then was that myself and my joint bench partner, we became the oldest uh, brickage labourers, I think, in Victoria at the time. <laughs> we, were go we were going to, uh, to the site, not to, you know, oversee things. We were going there to work. And once we got the initial part of the uh, slab laid and, and uh, the brick dividing wall in place, uh, it was me and my joint venture partner. We did the framing for the ground floor. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, wow. Wow. So you guys did the framing. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So we just so couldn't John, get the trades. Yeah. Yeah. How did that, how did that deal stack up? So obviously it made a profit. Um, how, how did that, how did that end up? Because that, that was the first kind of like joint venture you've done. You did the previous, the, right. the commercial deal, but this is the, this is, this is, this is getting into it now. Um, obviously it was profitable. Well, the money that I made was the equivalent to five years of the income that I'd lost. Wow. Okay. So the, um, the kind of um, threat, if you like, of having to go back to work after two years if I didn't find a deal was kind of um, um, offset well and truly. Got it. Got and, it. That, that, would have, that would have created a whole different set of relief of, you know, oh, moving move out of work. Yeah. And, and not only that, it wasn't so much the income, but one of the things that was important was that at that point we were debt free. Got it. The, the income had paid off our house. Uh, wow. So we owned our house outright, which we hadn't done since we'd gone broke in a business that that failed. Awesome, uh, awesome. So your your first joint venture deal, five times your income, and managed to pay off your house. You're, yes. you're debt free. Yes. What a what a what what a sensational first deal, hey? <laughs> well, it was really what we needed at the time. There was no doubt about that. But what we what we struck then was that uh, this was in 2010, 2011, and uh, the economy at that stage was was going pear shaped again. You know, this was the height of the GFC, and the opportunities just weren't there anymore in Victoria, or not that we could see anyway. Now, my, the joint venture partner and I we, we had planned to do just you know repeat deals. We were going to just keep repeat, repeat, repeat on doing mm -hmm. the same thing. But we just couldn't find the deals after that that worked. Uh, it, it was too hard. So we, that's when we decided that uh, um, the US offered the best opportunities. And so that's where we went next. Interesting. And I, I got to say, I love how you've, you've, you've analyzed where you're at. You've done your feasibility. You've done your assessment. And you're going, no, this is, this is a better opportunity over here. Now, you got over to the US with a pretty good exchange rate too, didn't you? The exchange rate at the time was 106. It actually went up to 110 um, shortly after that. But when we invested most of our money, it was at 106. Fantastic. And, um, and that was our strategy, really. Our strategy didn't necessarily involve real estate. Real estate was a good vehicle at the time, but the intention was really just to get our money out of the country because we knew that at 106, it would eventually come back to the 70s. The, at the time, the long-term average was, uh, you know, sort of around 75, 76 cents in a dollar. So we knew that if we got our money out of the country, for, even for three or four years, that we could bring it back, we could make a, you know, um, a, a fairly decent income just on the exchange rate. Uh, so that was our intention. It was just that real estate provided that made it a little bit easier. I, I love I love your strategy here. You know, you've got a really clear picture. Are you getting a lot of this strategy? Is this from the, your own personal analysis? Is it also a part of being in Platinum Program or amongst the community? Like, because you've got a, you know, you're you're really looking at a broader picture, not just where you're at. Where does this viewpoint kind of come from from you? Well, I don't I don't think we would have even considered uh, investing in the US had Dimner not done it. Dimner had gone over to the US and invested pre-GFC. Uh, it didn't work for her then because the timing was bad, but uh, you know, she, she had kind of broken ground. She'd set up um, a network of, of people in the US that we could uh, rely on to point us in the right direction as far as um, you know, finding the right cities to invest in, uh, getting the right accounting advice. She had all those things in place. 
So had it not been for that, we probably would not have considered investing in the US. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, we did the, um, the education that she had on offer at the time, what she was calling Cashflow USA. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through all of that. So we had a you know, reasonably good understanding of what we're in for. Uh, we, we connected with the group that she, um, she had organized in the US uh, to help us with the, um, uh, you know, with the investments and choosing the cities. So uh, we went over to the US on a tour. We, I think we toured four or five cities uh, at the time. We went, uh, flew to, to, the LA, to LA and then to San Francisco, which is where we had the introduction with the, um, the group there. And then we, we went to Kansas City, uh, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, um, Dallas. That was on our first trip. Um, and we bought uh, four properties at the time, um, all in our superannuation fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went back later uh, by myself um, early, I think March the following year. And uh, I went to uh, St. Louis, um, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Chicago, um, I think were some of the towns, and I bought another four properties. So, so you've got you've got eight in the US, and and the the first four were in your self managed super fund. Correct. Yeah. And and were they like cash flow deals for you for for the super fund? Yeah. Uh, all of the deals that we made were all cash flow deals, with the exception of one, which was in our super fund, um, and that was uh, the property that we bought in Texas. And we bought that purely and simply for the growth, although it actually turned out to be the best property in in cash flow and growth. Okay, and it was also the most expensive property. Yeah. So, so how how did it turn out, like cash flow wise? Have you got a bit of an overall idea of of cash flow within your within your super? Uh, within our super, th- there was there was some cash flow. Um, it, look, it, it was not a success. Uh, by and large, in terms of cash flow, the um, um, the the property that we bought for growth actually had better cash flow than any of the others. Mm-hmm. But we we there were mistakes that we made, and uh, one of the mistakes that we made we, we bought two uh, properties that watch what the Americans call multifamily homes. Uh, one was a a block of four apartments, and one was a block of six, and they were just they were just too much trouble. They were very, very hard to tenant. They were very hard to, to manage. We, we were constantly changing property managers. We were constantly changing tenants. Uh, they were just too hard to manage. So a lot of the cash flow that we were getting from the other properties that were working well, we were basically putting into keeping these things going. And, um, uh, um, and eventually we thought, well, that's just not going to work for us. But um, so we did eventually sell those. Um, but they weren't the first ones that we sold. Uh, we did have another uh, property in Pittsburgh, for example. We bought it for twelve thousand dollars. You buy a house for twelve thousand dollars, and it cost us about twenty thousand dollars to have it completely renovated. And it was a really nice little house, but we had a problem with the tenant. Uh, and eventually, we sold it just uh, basically to avoid problems with the tenancy. We didn't lose money on it. Uh, we made money again because of the change in exchange rates, but it was kind of ended up going nowhere that that one particular property and we thought that that would actually be one of our better ones um, there were two properties that we sold uh, fairly early in the piece because we were starting another deal here in Australia mm-hmm. uh, in um, regional Queensland and we needed the cash so yep. I sold uh, sold two of them they were in our super fund um, the suit the super fund, incidentally, there were, there were a lot of issues with super funds at the time. Uh, I won't go into in too much detail, but the tax office in Australia uh, hadn't really set up the rules uh, of what you could and couldn't do in a super fund when you're investing internationally. And uh, they were constantly changing the rules. We, we had an enormous amount of problems with that because I'd set up bank accounts for the super fund in um, um, New South in. Uh, the US based on what we knew. Uh, and what we knew at the time was that um, uh, for, a, for a bank account to be legitimate in a self-managed super fund, that had to be a bank that was authorized by APRA. Now at the oh, time- In the US. In the US. Okay, wow. 
Now, at the time we started our investments with self-managed super fund in the US, the Bank of America was on that list, um, but it got removed. And my um, auditor at the time was good enough to tell me that my self-managed super fund was no longer compliant. And I had until the end of the year to fix it. And fixing it meant um, getting rules sort of in place about what you could and couldn't do with bank accounts. It was a real mess. So mm. it, it's one of the reasons why we kind of wanted to get out of the whole uh, self-managed super fund thing um, with investing in the US. It was just all too difficult. Yeah, uh, the okay. rules were constantly changing and uh, uh, so it was a problem. Um, one of the interesting things about that was that one of the things that I needed to do was to open new bank accounts with the Bank of America in personal names for the self-managed super fund, which we were allowed to do. But uh, they wouldn't do it remotely. We actually had to travel over there, they were telling us. So I wrote a dirty letter to the CEO of the Bank of America in New York. I found his email address and I sent him a dirty email um, abusing him for his... Um, poor service and uh, as a result of that I was contacted by a vice president from the Bank of America and they set in train a process for me to get the accounts that I wanted so. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say John I, I, I love your resilience and your ability to to, 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 to sort through a situation and to work out a solution you know well, well, I wasn't going to roll over and accept it that's for sure Anyway, the, um, we had two uh, properties that we sold. They were out of our super fund. We sold them for a profit. They were cash flow positive. Um, in, in, when we talk about cash flow positive in America, you need to put that into context. You know, uh, the houses that we were buying were $55,000 each. So, uh, you know, to get five or $600 uh, per month in terms of positive cash flow, uh, well, it doesn't sound like a, a lot in terms of uh, percentage of the amount invested. It, it's quite significant. Mm -hmm. In mm. fact, in, in those two cases, the cash flow would have paid off those houses in, in probably less than 10 years. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. But we decided to sell them because, because we wanted to do a deal here. We needed the cash, so we, we sold them. Um, and... Uh, then you know we sold the two multifamily homes pretty much for the same reason we still needed the money here yep um there were two houses that we had in cleveland which were an interesting case because at the time we we bought over there um lenders in america were not lending to foreigners um but i found a broker who could uh Get a deal for us uh, alone. So what we did was uh, we bought both of these houses for fifty-five thousand dollars each in Cleveland. We had them revalued, um, and by an independent valuer, and they were revalued in while well, we spent one hundred and ten thousand. They were actually revalued, I think, at about one hundred and forty thousand. And the lender was prepared to give us a seventy percent LVR on that valuation, and with the exchange rate, the money we brought back to Australia was only a few thousand dollars short of the $110,000 that the properties cost us. Wow. So we, wow. we effectively at that point had two, two houses in the US that owed us nothing um, because we'd bought all the money back. Fantastic, then, fantastic. The, the, the US, then, is, it sounds like the US, you've got to really know, you know, oh, the, the level of knowledge and understanding of how and where to invest and so forth, it, it's, it's way above um obviously here which is what we know in australia yes it's a complicated market now the the deal that we did the best on was the one that we bought for growth and now it didn't grow a lot we bought it it was one hundred and fifty thousand dollars us so we effectively paid one hundred and forty six thousand dollars for it when we sold it uh we sold it for two hundred thousand dollars us so we actually bought back two hundred and eighty thousand dollars Fantastic. So, so Fantastic. we bought it for one hundred and forty-six thousand. We got two hundred and eighty thousand dollars back. So, almost doubled our money in in four years that we owned that property. Awesome, awesome. And, and there were a lot of funny stories about that too. I, I I know, and there is um there is a video that that Dimpner had of of some of the auctions. I think as well yes. over in the US. Oh look, the 
the, the funniest story that we had with that property in Texas was the fact that it was in a managed estate and the rules of the managed estate was that you had to have a tree in the front yard. Now our tree died. Uh, <laughs> we were notified by the, um, uh, the management group that the tree had died and that we had 30 days to correct it. The only trouble was that that notification arrived two days after the end of the expiry of the 30 days. <laughs> so I organized for the tree to be replaced through the property manager. And the next thing I get is a fine in the email, in the mail for $75 for failing to comply with the requirements to replace the tree. And I had 30 days to pay. And guess what? The fine turned up two days after the, th the $75 was due. So I got another fine for $75. <laughs> so I sent them a dirty letter saying that I refused to pay the second fine if they continued to deal with me in such an antiquated fashion by using um, surface mail, then um, I would not do business with them. They could basically... Um, Find and find an alternative. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing you deal with when you're dealing with Americans. They're very that. antiquated. Sounds like you're you're getting experience in, in writing those dirty letters. <laughs> so so look, let's come back to Australia. So obviously, um, the US very much a learning experience, also oh, yes. profitable, but a bit of a juggle as well. Yes, very much yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. And and to this day, I'm still juggling with uh, problems with the IRS. Okay, they. They sent me refund checks for over that I uh, for uh, taxes that, I, that I'd overpaid. Uh, the trouble is that the entities no longer exist, and the bank the bank won't accept Australian banks won't accept uh, foreign checks anymore, and the Bank of America won't accept them because they're made out to the wrong payee. They're made out to the businesses that I've closed, uh, and not now personal names. So I've got about uh, four or five thousand dollars in refund checks from the IRS that are basically worthless pieces of paper, and I haven't given up on that either. Okay, you got you got to get it back to writing those dirty letters. That sounds oh, yes. like those dirty letters. Oh, yes. <laughs> my, my next letter will be to the IRS. Okay, right. We'll we'll find out how that goes next time. So so hey now 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 you're going going on to doing a deal back here. This is in uh, Queensland, isn't it? That's the right. Next yeah, one. we're yeah. building three houses. We bought a, what was essentially a vacant block of land with a, just had a garage on it, and the intention was to build three houses and sell them. Mm -hmm. It it was um, a very very uh, difficult deal right from the outset. Uh, nothing seemed to go right with this particular deal. The um, the the we knew right when I signed the contract I I don't want to admit this but we actually signed the contract knowing that we didn't have enough money to do the deal uh, and that's why I had to sell the, the the properties in the US the deal would have worked financially if a lot of things had fallen into place we needed to get the DA in place on the property and have it revalued and um, um, re-leverage the um, the loan so that we could get more money as a result of an increase in the property value that failed. Uh, we needed to get a, a valuation and a higher valuation on our PPR. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, we tried four different lenders, four different property valuations over a period of about 12 months and none of them came up to scratch. So we couldn't uh, leverage the equity we had in our house. Um, and um, we needed the construction quote to come in at a particular price and it came in a bit higher than what we expected. So it, it kind of went um, a little bit pear-shaped. And then we had uh, issues with the boundary. The um, next door neighbor's garage encroached over the boundary. So we had to get a boundary realignment done and that caused more delays um, to when we could start the building. What we found then was that we were in a, basically in a different market then. We were expected to take advantage of the increase in the market. There was uh, you know, good demand at the time, but because we were now almost a year later getting into the market, uh, we, we could see that we were gonna end up having some problems because we were in a in, in different market. Um, most of the problems we were able to so solve along the way, uh, I sold 
properties in, in the US in order to, to cover the fact that we couldn't get um, the increased leverage from the, um, the, the DA. My wife fortuitously went to work for a bank at mm -hmm. the time. So even though we weren't able to um, get an increase in the market valuation on our PPR, the bank um, that she went to work for were prepared to give us a 90% um, LVR with no loan insurance because she was on staff. So we essentially got that sorted out. So, you know, we, we kind of Handy. got all those problems. Yeah. Yeah. We and so, so how, how did it, how did it, um, how did it end up? Cause it's like, this, this, this still seems to have, you know, quite a, quite a few issues and problems. And I got to say, um, it's probably not the best thing to, to, to promote that you should be signing a contract without the, the, the funds in place, <laughs> but, but, but we need to kind of follow that up and say that you had the ability to be able to sell other properties in order to be able to, oh, yes. yeah, to, to, to solve that. So you, that. You yeah. weren't, well, you weren't going too risky into this. You no. had, you had a backup plan as to what would happen if the, if the finance didn't come through. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and I knew right from the outset that we had three things in play here and they all needed to come off for it to be financially viable. We started the process of selling the um, the other assets well and truly in advance of uh, needing the money because we knew that that wasn't likely to happen. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's um, uh, you know I'm prepared to take some risks, but we needed we didn't need to get delays in uh, construction uh, caused by our inability to find the funds. So that's what we did. Yep. Yep. Okay. So with with all the delays and so forth, that deal wasn't was it didn't turn out at, um, as intended. Yeah. No, we did make a loss. Um, I hate to admit making a loss, but uh, you know losses are inevitable in some cases. You know, you it's just one of those things. Um, yep. Um, and it was nothing that we could predict at the time. Uh, the, the delays just cost us too much. Mm -hmm. But we're also in an unusual position at that stage because we knew we'd sold our PPR by this stage. Yep. We, we were living on a one acre block. We were getting too old for it. It was a very steep block. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew that we were getting too old to manage it. So it, it, quite separately from many of our investing, uh, we decided to, uh, to sell it. And uh, when there was a peak in the market and the market peaked at about 2017. So we sold it. Yep. We sold it. We sold it for about $130,000 more than we thought it was worth. So, uh, you know, we we did very well on the sale. We moved down to Mornington on the peninsula for a while because we thought that's where we would move to. Yep. And then in the end, basically what happened, we were, we were paying rent in, in Mornington, but we we're also paying interest on one of the uh, properties that we'd built in Queensland that we couldn't sell. So we moved up to Queensland. We lived in the um, in the property we couldn't sell. We staged it, it took about three months to clean it up, stage it, and uh, we sold it the day after it was finished, ready. We were about, we got the photography in so that we could put it in on the market. Mm -hmm. and we sold it the next day. Um, and then the problem we had then was we were effectively homeless. So we had uh, to find somewhere to live. But you made profit on that one? We didn't make, that was where we made the loss. That was, uh, oh, okay. we sold that one effectively at a loss. We'd, okay. we'd, of the first two, we, we sold the first one at a profit. We sold the second one for basically break even. We sold the third one for a loss, um, which made the whole project um, come out with a, with a small loss. It wasn't, you know, wasn't going to break us at all. It was yep. just annoying more than anything else. Um, so anyway, at that point we were homeless. So we decided that uh, we would look for a place on the Sunshine Coast. So we looked all the way from Noosa to um, Caloundra, basically. We found a house in um, Twin Waters um, where the um, owner had died. It was uh, in the hands of their, of uh, the estate. Um, we, we, we offered them what they were asking. Mm -hmm. um, we got a um, simultaneous settlement on the property in Toowoomba with the uh, property in Twin Waters. So uh, we were able to move from one to the other very easily. We, we moved in here in uh, at the end of 2019. We spent probably the next uh, three or four months doing a complete renovation, um, everything, um, kitchens, bathrooms, um, you know, the whole lot. 
Some work had already been done. Uh, it had already been painted throughout uh, prior to being put on the market. So we didn't need to do that. Mm. We spent about $200,000 in the renovation. Um, and it's now worth probably six or $700,000 more than what we've spent on it. Awesome. Awesome. That's a nice return. Well, that was all brought about basically because of timing. Yep. When we yep. knew that when we sold our PPR in, in uh, Melbourne, that we could afford to be out of the market for two years. And this is one of the things that I mentioned earlier. These, these are sorts of things that you come across when you're following um, uh, this, the I Love Real Estate group. You know, Dimna talks about the economy all the time. It pays to listen. Because you know, we we knew where the fluctuations in the markets were going to be and when the, when they were going to happen. So we knew in 2017 it was going to peak. We knew in 2019 was going to be at the um, the end of a slump. We needed to be back in the market by the end of 2019, and we were. And then, if anybody remembers what's happened, uh, you know, in 2020, 21, um, prices just absolutely skyrocketed. And that's why the um, the valuation on our PPR just went through the roof. Absolutely. So, so with all of the deals that you've done, John, it looks like you're in a you're in a you know you've had obviously some very good wins. You've also had some 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 losses as well, some break evens. Um, but you're still way ahead than when you started. Oh, yes. We are definitely absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Um, look, what a thank you so much for giving us a bit of an insight. There's a couple of different comments here going. This is so much experience, you know, that I'm learning, and that we've got a, a, a new person as a newbie. It's really great hearing all this lived experience. So, um, really appreciate you you taking the time out there to uh, to share oh, that. My pleasure. Um, now, there's a couple of things I want to get into, but I wanted to find out um, how is your life different now. To when you first when you first joined, you know, you obviously you know you're kind of like in a very different position. But how how is your life now different? Well, I think the main difference is that I'm one of these people now who can't remember what day it is because I don't have any kind of schedule <laughs> other than shopping and you know housework occasionally. I do what I want when I want. Uh, my wife and I go for coffee regularly. You know. Uh, we're retired for all intents and purposes. Um, we've essentially done our last deal. One of the hardest things, of course, when you get to my age is that uh, nobody will give you finance. So you have to be realistic and say, well, you know, our investing days are done. Um, so, you know, I'm in retirement and I spend my time just doing and anal analyzing the markets and uh, posting things on, on Facebook and uh, developing software. Absolutely. Now we want to we want to kind of touch on this point as well. I'm going to leave that a little bit to the end there because it's because this is this is another fascinating area that, uh, yeah, that many within the Isle of Estate community will know. Those you know that are brand new will probably not know, but we want to we want to touch on that. And that's a um, going to leave that towards the end. So stay 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 hang around for a bit because we want to <laughs> we want to we will certainly get to that. But I want to find out what um, uh, if a, if a brand new student has just arrived and they're just joining up and they're like dived into this community there's a whole lot of information there's obviously the training programs it's the ultimate quantum and the platinum what kind of advice um would you give someone who's just who's just starting out well there's there's a couple of points first of all I'd, I'd encourage people not to be overawed by the by the success of others you you're going to be confronted by people who have done some magnificent deals you know they're they're out there they're active they're doing huge amounts of things what you've got to realize is that we all come from a different base we're all different people some people can do renovations some people can do subdivisions so we're all we're all different so don't be overawed by what other people are doing set your goals um, come together get a plan of how you're going to meet those goals and work to it um, and it doesn't matter this uh, investing in real estate it's not a contest it's not a race you work at your own pace you work to meet your own goals learn from what other people have done and this is where the i love real estate uh, community is great because no matter what you've done or what you you want to do somebody will have done it before you there will be somebody you can use leverage information information is powerful tool um, Learn things at your own pace. So this, the amount of information that Dimpna hands out is just totally overwhelming. 
is learn things like asset protection first, because asset protection covers every deal. Doesn't matter what the deal involves, asset protection, taxation, they're important and they cover every aspect of real estate investment. But if you're doing renovations, you don't need to know anything about GST. Okay, so ignore that. Learn it when you need to learn it. Mm, um, mm. Concentrate on what you need to know to achieve your goals and do it piece at a time. But most importantly, go to every event. In one year, I went to, to 13 events in one year. Go to every ultimate boot camp you can. Go to every one day event that Dimna has and stay on because that it gives you that motivation to continue. You're going to find times when it's hard to find a deal. Just keep plugging away. They may not be there today. They'll be there tomorrow. So don't get overwhelmed. Do it at your own pace. That's probably the most important advice that I can give people. People will look at what I've done and they'll say, well, you know, you, you haven't done very much. And, and quite honestly, I'll have to agree. What I've done and what we've done in real estate is, is relatively insignificant by comparison to a lot of people, but we've done it at our pace um, when we've felt comfortable to do it. Um, so setting goals is certainly very important and, and you need to stick with your goals. Mm. Um, the, other, the other thing perhaps, um, apart from going to all the, the different meetings, I wrote down a few points here so that I, I, I wouldn't forget them. Yep. Um, also, another aspect is that a lot of people think, well, you know, I've only got a certain amount of money, so therefore these are the kinds of deals that I've got to do. Well, that's not true. Any new person should not be limited by their own financial resources. If you can find a good deal, you will always find somebody with the money and the skill to do the job with you. Always. There are a lot of people out there with too much money and not enough time prepared to put it into a good deal. Find the deal. Don't be limited by your own financial resources or your own skill set. Make sure that your skill set is finding the deals. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's about it, I think. I think I've covered pretty much all the points that I would give to a, a newbie. I think you have, John. Yes. <laughs> yes, you have. Thank you. And look, um, while you've been talking, there's been a number of comments saying, I love John's work. He has helped me so much with the GVA and FISO software. Um, using the amazing GVA software as I'm watching this. Thank you, John. So there's a, there's a lot of students who are kind of like, um, uh, you know, tuning in for this as well. Um, so there's there's two more questions, but the the, the the one I wanted to find out is what what would you tell others um, about the Isle of Estate community? Because you've look you've been involved for for going on twenty years now, involved with Dipner and the training. Um, what what do you tell somebody else who, who might not be involved? The the Isle of Real Sorry, I'll, just while you were talking, then I was trying to get something off my screen that just suddenly popped up. Um, one of the things about the I Love Real Estate community, as I've said, is that um, you know there, there are people in the community who have done all manner of things. Staying with the community is perhaps one of the most important things that you can do. There's always somebody who can help you with whatever problem you've got. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. You, you post it up on Facebook and you're going to have dozens of people telling you how you can get around various things. They don't necessarily all work, but you're getting often you're getting the advice from people who have done it before. The um, you know if if you're at the like me if you and like my wife and I when when we first started if you're at the, the the least bit at risk then by all means join Platinum. I met a lot of people over those Platinum years when I was active in Platinum from 2009 to 2016. We, we travelled a lot. I made a lot of friends. One of the, those friends was my joint venture partner in the deal in Queensland. You know, you, you get to know people, you get to trust people, um, you get to know what their financial resources are like and what their families are like, so you know them. And these, these are the people that you want to do joint ventures with. Staying connected is extremely important. Mm, mm, absolutely. Sorry. I might have missed part of the question when I was trying to get rid of the stuff off my screen, but that's no, no, it's all good. It's all good, John. You've, 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 um, you, you, you've covered it pretty clearly. Um, now I really want to just say, um, thank you for what you've done within the community. I know that Dimna 
has obviously thanked you as well. You have done and developed feasibility software, which is given to the students. Um, it's incredibly detailed. You've also got training videos to show people how to use that feasibility software. Um, and it's something that Dimna has shared and it's been, I, I don't know how many years it is, but it's it's quite a number of years that that's been available for, for all students. It's offered freely to uh, students who have joined yeah. the community. 2010 um, was when we released that. 2010, uh, yeah. so that's going um, so, on 13 yeah. years. And I just yeah. want to correct you on one thing. People yep. think this is my feasibility study program. It's not. I actually took Dimna's feasibility study and uh, a lot of Dimna's um, uh, formula and methods are still in the program today. So it actually started with Dimna, not with me. She just... But she just had the idea. She couldn't get it to work. She gave it to me to get it to work. And that's what I did. Spot on. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So you've taken Dipner's idea of feasibility and then you have formulated a program and wrapped it into an Excel spreadsheet that then provides those, those yes. formulas to work effectively. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then now this looks like it's a similar thing when it comes to the GVA. GVA is grid variance analysis. This is Dipner's method of locating yep. a deal. And you've now taken that idea, that concept, that training, and you have developed software about it. And I've got to say, the students that are just kind of like going, this is just the most amazing software. The platinum coaches are saying, we just love this software. We give this and make sure that all of our students are looking after it. Um, so this is just, this is phenomenal because it's actually quite amazing how it can then track down and search and find a deal in any specific area, but now, so thank you very much for doing that. That's, 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 that's been phenomenal. And, and, and the results and, and the feedback is just amazing. Um, but you're going to take it a step further, aren't you? Yes, I am. The next um, version will be what I would call a professional version. Um, it'll be, a, it'll be a slightly different product because it will, it will cost a lot more to run the the data that um, the GVA program gets is has to be paid for the domain and Google and all these people who supply information want to be paid for it um, so it's uh, um, the next version will need a lot more data to work because essentially what the program will do is to uh, you, you'll input a suburb just like you do now um, the suburb that I've been testing uh, is Wenham in Queensland um, there are 44 properties currently listed for sale in Wynnum and what the program will do was look at every one of those 44 properties and analyse them on the basis of five individual strategies for development and provide, with, um, provide the user with uh, the details of how much money it will cost to buy it, to add bedrooms, bathrooms, car spaces, what the holding costs will be, um, what the selling price will be expected to be and it will tell you how much profit you'll make depending on the scenario and there are five different scenarios at the moment ranging from anywhere from a uh, simple um, minor renovation and resale all the way up to a code renovation um, with adding bedrooms and bathrooms and so on and it'll just pop up with this information it's also interactive so um, in as many of you know who use the gva program at the moment uh, a lot of prices are, are not provided uh, selling prices that is are not provided by the real estate agent so the program actually makes an uh, a guess at what the estimated price will be um, the user will be able to change the price once they've talked to the agent the um, the user will be able to talk to the agent, find out what the price is likely to be, change the price, and it will immediately evaluate that property again against those five different strategies. And it will tell you exactly what the uh, profit margins were for any one of those strategies. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So, <laughs> John, that, that, that's, that's, that's amazing, man. That, that really is. I, I know that... <laughs> I know that it's it's certainly um, a huge amount of work for you to do. And I also know that there's going to be a lot of students very interested in that professional program of the GVA, um, especially now the experience of, of, of them using it um, already with uh, in it in its current form. So um, amazing. Thank you. 
looking looking forward to seeing it and i think there's probably going to be a little bit more uh work involved to get it finalized would yes, i be right more work yeah yep okay there's Yes, because unfortunately, the one thing that's very hard to uh, predict is what a property will be worth when you sell it after you've done a renovation. Uh, I mean, that just that information is not there. I've, I've had to come up with a whole range of new kind of formula and the way we look at properties in order to kind of make that assessment um, and come up with some interesting ways to to actually sort of um, compare prices. Um, and it, it'll be interesting if it works. Yeah, yeah. I'm yet to prove that it works. Well, I think we're we're all going to have that bated breath of like going, okay, let's just see see how this pans out. So, um, phenomenal, phenomenal, John. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for taking the time out. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, um, there's thank another you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, John. Um, there's one thing here. One of the first comments um, was actually from Luke here on Facebook. He said, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you certainly have a reputation within the uh, Isle of Real Estate community, and I really appreciate you taking out the time. And um, and certainly with the um, the amount of give back, I mean, Dimmer always talks about the ripple in the pond effect, and she never knows what people are do when they give back to the community. And, and, and you've been doing that consistently over many many years. And I haven't even mentioned um, the when you've actually done some analyzation of the market as well and you've tied it in with the movements of certain commodities as well you've you've delivered that as well and that you're constantly commenting and, and, and keeping the the community updated um on that as well as the obviously the programs the feasibility and and now the gva and the gva professional um that 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 uh you know is in the pipeline as well so yeah. um so phenomenal and and congratulations on the on the 20 year anniversary november <laughs> i think we should have a party for you john <laughs> <laughs> no i don't like anniversaries certainly not birthdays i think this one would be worthwhile 20 years <laughs> 20 years connected within the community i think it'd be a well worth party we'll see what we can do about that <laughs> good on you uh john Thank you so much. Um, everyone, we're going to end off there. We've gone a little bit over time. I hope you've really enjoyed this one. This is fascinating. It's so insightful to see the journey and the history of, um, of John, who's been within the community. It's going on almost 20 years now. And uh, and what he's been able to accomplish in his in his journey and 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 how he's managed to persist writing those dirty letters when things don't go wrong to be able to solve a problem. So um, John, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. We're going to leave it there. Um, everyone have a fantastic afternoon, evening. Okay, that's it from me. Thanks Thank again, you. John. Thanks, everyone, Bye, for everyone. joining. Bye. We'll end off there. See everyone now. Bye. Bye.